and welcome back to CCIRA Literacy Conversations with Jessica Rickert and Molly Rao. Our guest this week is Emily Goldenstein, and she is our marketing person for our CCIRA Executive Committee. So, Emily, tell us a little bit about your teaching background. Well, I have been teaching for what feels like a million years after this pandemic. However, I've only been teaching for five years. I started my education journey at the University of Northern Colorado, and I graduated with my bachelor's in elementary education and an emphasis on reading and literacy. And then I have been working as a fifth grade teacher for the last five years and loving every minute of it. So what's your, what's the difference between year five and year one through three? Well, year five is kind of the outlier year, right? Because everything is different this year than it's ever been before. And I feel like I'm restarting as a teacher. So year one and year five are about the same for me. But really, if we were to compare last year and year one, a lot of things were different. Um, I really learned how to manage my time and how to work collaboratively as a team and really start focusing on the craft of teaching versus just how do I plan my day and learning all the content and delivering it to kids. Really got to start focusing on how do I want to design my teaching? How do I want my classroom to look and how do I want these kids to be learning? Well, and I was hoping you would bring up the time thing because you and I have talked about that before. Um, And I think this year in particular, time management is huge for all of us. Um, So do you have any, you know, key ideas that you think you could share and kind of boil down? Because I know you took a whole like course on that. So obviously you can't go over all the things you learned, but are there some tips and tricks that you can kind of boil down to simple ideas that our listeners can take advantage of? Yes, I would love to share. So thanks, Molly, for bringing that up. Molly and I both work in the same district for everybody listening. So we have the privilege right now to work with a company called GND Associates. They're a consulting firm for our district. And Scott Fuller has really helped a lot. So a lot of the ideas and things that I'm going to share are from him. So I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. But I took a class with him last year called the Teacher Time Collaborative and really took all of the ideas to heart and started to change my practice and was not taking work home. I was a happier teacher. The kids were happier. We all know these things to be true. Then this year started and we got back to that yucky place where I was bringing my computer home and I was on it all night and it's unhealthy to do that. It's not okay. And so I reached back out to Scott and said, Hey, I need an example of what time can look like in the age of a pandemic and teaching with all of the constraints that we have and really just all of the unique situations. Our plan time got cut back this year. So by the time the kids leave and I use the bathroom, we really get about 30 minutes which is not a lot when you're an elementary teacher prepping for the whole day and teaching all of the subjects. So the first tip that he shared with me that our team implemented is to really put a name to every day of your plan time and keep that sacred. 
So for example, our schedule looks like on Mondays, we dive into new curriculum on our own. I don't know about anybody else, but the standards still changed this year and we still got new curriculum. So at fifth grade at our school, we're looking at new science curriculum, new writing curriculum, and a new reading program. That's Those are all really big chunks, right? So on Mondays, we dive into new curriculum and learn for ourselves. On Tuesdays, that's your self-plan day. Do anything that you need to do to be prepared for your week in your classroom on Tuesday. On Wednesday, that's our real team time. And we have a timed agenda that we send out at least 24 hours before so that people can add to it and change it. And we know what we're looking at time-wise. That agenda is really important because it keeps us on track and helps us be efficient with our time. And we have norms around that. Like we know that we want to stick to our time and we don't want to run over so that we can keep everybody on the same page. We also always start with a comfort break first so that we don't have to worry about that when we're in our meeting. We go to the bathroom, we do what we need to do, and that makes us feel better. On Wednesday, or after Wednesdays, on Thursdays, we do professional development, which was a new thing for us, but has worked out really, really well. The reason I love the professional development day is I think it was Ellen Oliver Keene at one of our CCIRA leadership meetings at the beginning of this year. She asked the question of when did your team last really, truly collaborate? Not like you go make these copies and I'll make this set of copies. When was the last true collaboration you had? And so Thursdays are that day for us. This year, we're taking on um, some new book clubs and literacy circles that we're doing with our kids. And we're able to use Thursdays to grow as professionals in the areas that we want to. It's all chosen by us. We reach out to our learning coach when we need support. And Thursdays is probably our team's favorite day of the week. So even though we're not doing any planning or any grading, it's so impactful for what we're doing and the work that we're doing right now. And then on Fridays... We divvy up and we have prep time so that all of our stuff is ready for next week. Some of us make video newsletters, which a quick tip is so much easier at elementary to make a one minute video newsletter for your parents than to type out a newsletter every single week. And then after that, we have 15 minutes of social time, which also sounds really weird, but it's team building. We have a new team this year and it's just, it really pays off in the end when you're able to have that time. So that's one thing that we've done that has really, really changed our lives this year. And we all hold each other accountable. Leave your computer at school at the end of the day. Don't take it home on weekends. If somebody sends a work text on the weekend, let them know, hey, that sounds like work. What else are you doing this weekend? So we can just keep each other accountable. Well, and I... I always like when teachers emphasize this, but I like that you had social time there um, because I'm a big advocate that like when you need to sit down and work, if you take your time to sort of socialize and decompress, usually you'll find you're better able to like sit down and crank out the work when it's time. Whereas if you're constantly like just frying your brain, working, 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 like it gets harder and harder and harder to keep up. And my coworker, my partner in seventh grade social studies, I love her dearly. This is the very first week 
in the years we've worked together that I got her to go take a walk with me instead of sitting at her computer. And it was so nice because we still talked about work. Like there was still work getting done, but we also got to decompress. We also forgot there was a lockdown drill during that. So we got to stand outside during the lockdown drill and not have to huddle in a dark corner of our classrooms. So that was actually kind of a perk. We wandered down. There's a pond close to our school. So we wandered to the pond. But I'm a big advocate for that. And the other thing that happens is sometimes you have these amazing brainstorms. Like today, she and I were sitting around, you know, we work from home on Wednesdays and we're sitting and we're, um, we're kind of talking about some of our plans and things going forward. And we'd kind of hashed things out. And so we were done and we were just kind of goofing off. And then all of a sudden, like our silly stream of consciousness conversation led us to this like aha moment about what we wanted to do asynchronously on Monday, Tuesday. And so it was like total gear shift, scrap what we were talking about before. Like, here's what we can have kids do. And we were super excited. Um, so yeah, sometimes those, your best work is going to come out of those relaxing moments instead of the like stress, got to get it done moments. So always an advocate for that. Yeah. Building in that time, I mean, seems silly when he suggested that at first we were like, you mean we have less time and you want us to use it on this, but we're happier people. You're right. It just, it grounds us and it forces us to have that time where we're not thinking about 700 things or trying to make decisions that are so big right now. So we love that social time. About how long did it take? Because these are all really good habits to build on. And I do think as teachers, we're so uncomfortable holding other teachers accountable. So how long did it take for you and your team to get in this groove and be able to hold each other accountable for this work? That's a great question. We, to be honest, it was about four weeks ago when we were all going to crack. I think it was leading up to... um, Halloween and just all kinds of craziness. And so that was when I reached out and he gave us the idea and we implemented it immediately that following week. And it's been three weeks since, and we're on it. We are back to being happy people. Really what it takes is, um, norms, setting up norms with your team and being able to understand what they need and when they need it. So one of my teammates, and she would say this about herself, she's the person that has her email on her phone and checks it at home and all of those things. She'll totally work from home, but we're like, in order to feel happier at school, we got to try it. And so she did. She came out the Friday before and she goes, I got all my work done. So I don't have to take anything home. You should be so proud of me. And we were, we're so happy. So it really comes back to just norms and knowing your team and being able to joke and be light about the situation. Well, no, go for it, Jessica. (laughs) I was just going to say that when you are super stressed and that's what I keep hearing from teachers is everybody is so stressed out and we know research wise that you don't function at your best when you're stressed out. So even though you think you might try be trying to do everything, it's not working. And so I applaud you for doing that. Thanks. Yeah. Another stress thing, you know, kind of on this, you know, this, this stress focus that we've moved into. Um, I think sometimes we get so 
nitpicky about like that perfectionist piece. And I think sometimes we just need to walk away and say good enough. And then if it's not truly good enough, it's going to be percolating in the back of our mind. And we're going to get those great ideas like my coworker and I had today. And we're going to realize, oh, this is how we can make this work and we can change it. But to give yourself the okay to say, you know what, this will work. And so to not like spend forever, like trying to make everything exactly how you imagined it. And then thinking of some of those streamlined things too, like you said, with your newsletter, record that. Don't sit and spend all your time typing a newsletter. So I think it's definitely a good year to sort of rethink, like, how would I do that? Um, so, you know, for example, it's a whole lot faster for me to take a PDF and just record myself reading it when I'm posting stuff for asynchronous online work than it is for me to retype it so that the, you know, reader in whatever system can auto read it in a robot voice to kids. Like there's some little things that we can do that, you know, are much faster. And that's probably not the best example because I don't think most of us are retyping those things so a computer can read them. But just in case you are, go do it. (laughs) So like find those streamline habits. Yeah. The other thing that we implemented this year to streamline, um, this one's a little bit more out there, but we've been really supported in our building is the one thing you didn't notice was talking about grading and feedback. And so that's been a huge thing for us because I don't know about you, but online assignments get away from me a lot faster than paper assignments do. And there are a lot of online assignments this year. So we started talking about what would be the most effective and efficient way to get our kids to listen to our feedback online. Molly, do your kids listen to feedback online the same that they do in person or on paper? No. And I have some ideas about that too, but I want you to share yours first. So we started, we implemented on Wednesdays, the whole day is a different day of school. And I got this idea again from Scott Fuller's time collaborative class. He had just flashed up a schedule and just threw out this idea really quick. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I am doing that. I have the privilege to work at a STEM school. And sometimes that can get lost with all of the things that we do. So in order to keep that at the heart of everything we do, we implemented a Wednesday, we call it a reflection feedback day. And what the kids do is they come in in the morning and they have essentially a project-based learning task for the whole morning. They get to spend the entire time on it. And some weeks it focuses on our social studies content. Some weeks it focuses on science. It can vary but they get to work on that project the whole morning and it meets several standards. And during that time I'm grading, 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 pulling kids up their intentional goal setting, reflecting on previous goals and then moving forward with it. They're getting feedback from me. And then we're also simultaneously as they're working on projects, we've put in structures where they're then getting feedback from their classmates as well. So I'm not the only person giving them that feedback during the day. And then in the afternoon, they get to work on genius hour. They find an inquiry based question that they want to research. Sometimes I include a writing standard that they have to meet. Sometimes it's a science standard. Again, I vary those standards depending on what the day is and what the content is. 
And then they get the whole afternoon to do genius hour and present. And it is their favorite day of the week. Last year when we started it, it was right before we ended school for COVID and it was going really successfully, but it was kind of just a one-off. This year as a team, we've been doing it every week and we even have our intervention and support staff on board. So it's going really well and the kids are being super successful in their goal setting and feedback structures. And I get all my grading done. And I, I love that strategy. Anybody who knows me really well and has spent any time in my classroom, they know that, you know, in my mind, the grading happens, you know, so I would tackle it a little differently than you, but like I give kids work time. And a lot of times my grading happens right there in front of kids. And I'm struggling with that a little bit this year because I only see my kids two days a week in person, but on those two days a week, like I absolutely want feedback time for that. And I went to the camel conference on Saturday, they had a virtual conference. And for those who don't know, camel is the Colorado association of middle level educators. So basically it's for us quirky middle school folks out there. Um, but they have a great little conference every year. And so went ahead and went to that and, you know, they really talked about like when you, you know, type feedback or, you, you know, you put it on those documents, kids really aren't seeing it or understanding it. And I do have some kids cause I still type in that feedback. I do have some kids who over the course of the last couple months training them, they've learned to use that feedback, but I have plenty that struggle with that. And one thing that they talked about is like, if you're lucky like me and you have those couple days a week where you do have them in person during those work times, because, you know, I love to give them workshop time where they're working on tasks, like sit down with them and like, you know, pick a couple kids, like coach them through some of that feedback. Um, and so, you know, rather than spending all your time typing it, like just, you know, kind of make a mental note or jot down some names. Hey, these are kids I'm going to sit down at conference with when I have them in person. Now, if you're one of those unlucky souls, and I think a lot more of us are heading that direction right now. Um, and all your kids are remote. You can still conference with them. So, you know, I've been thinking about this, you know, just out of that, like, concern that we may end up that way. And right now, you know, I'm in a district that we're still, you know, our, our cases are a lot lower than some other districts, but we have one whole building in our district that's down. Um, so I've been thinking about the Google meets and the breakout rooms, or if you're using zoom, their breakout rooms and really using those to, um, do those one-on-one -on -one conferences. Like you could put kids working in breakout rooms with peers. And meanwhile, you might have a special little breakout room that you move one kid into and you go meet with them and talk to them about their assignment and kind of give them some feedback. And, you know, you can use those, like your breakout rooms don't have to just be for group work. Those can be a place where you can give feedback to a kid and talk to an individual kid, or, you know, maybe you, have an opportunity where you could pull a small group in there. So really thinking about those breakout rooms as not just a place for kids to collaborate, but a place for you to interact with kids in ways that are more familiar and more like your classroom. So I've been definitely, that's been on my brain a lot. 
Well, and I think that's important, especially because I think it gets lost in those upper elementary grades and then middle and high school. It is the feedback on the paper instead of the verbal feedback. And I think even more so now, kids need that personal connection. And so making time and, you know, it's just how do you do it realistically? You know, are you face to face? Are you virtual? But absolutely making one-on-one time for kids because it's so important and then they'll value that feedback instead of just getting a grade on their paper it's more about helping them to improve and then doing that consulting with them as well so I think all of those are great ideas that's a great point I think that was one of the biggest shifts in my practice this year was really teaching kids, how do you take this feedback? How do you look at this aside from a number and a letter grade? What do you notice out of it? So a lot of times if they, to try to get them to interact more online, our learning management system is Canvas. And so anytime they submit assignments, if they get a grade, a letter, or sorry, a number grade on there, I have them respond in the comments. What does that number grade tell you? And a lot of times we've worked through. So now they'll say, well, this number grade tells me if I got a nine out of 12 that I understand how to add fractions with unlike denominators, but I'm stuck on how to show it with a model. So that then they're telling me in the comments what they're taking from that number grade. And that was a huge shift, but they've been doing really well with it. I'm very impressed. I might have to borrow and steal from that a little bit because in a traditional year, like my kids know exactly what their numbers mean. And this year it's like they have no idea because that isn't somewhere where I've got where I've put the time the way I would in a normal year, because in a normal year, I really want them to be able to self-assess. And this year I I need them to be able to self-assess because they're on their own more. But at the same time, like, you know, you have them two days a week. You're like, is that where I put my time and energy? And sometimes you make that choice and you didn't put the time and energy there. And you're like, you need to go back, do that, put that effort in. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to emulate Emily and try and make some time for that and make sure that happens a little more so that numbers aren't just numbers and they mean something again. And I've been lucky they're in front of me every day. I should say that disclaimer. They're with me five days a week all the time. So I have a little bit more wiggle room right now than I know a lot of people do. You had talked about using Canvas and I know different districts are using different things. Do you have, even though you're in person, do you have some technology tools that you enjoy using with the kids? I do. I think our district, again, is very forward thinking in a lot of the practices. So we've been talking about learner agency for quite a while. And learner agency is another thing that I'm really passionate about. When I grew up in school, it was like, I think I used this term in all my interviews, like I got a paper pencil um, education, and I did not want that for any of the kids in my classroom. So I have a lot of different tools that I have taught my kids how to use, and then they have the freedom to demonstrate a skill in a tool of their choosing. So WeVideo is one that I am loving 
all the time. It has been helpful for a lot of things. A lot of kids really like to make videos and iMovie is a little bit tougher. And also it's not on a Chromebook. So our district has provided us access to WeVideo and I have them do it for a variety of things. One of the most useful things that I found is in our science classroom, we learn a lot of science content over a chunk of time. With our new curriculum, I think it took almost the entire first trimester to do a unit. So that's a long time to ask kids to collect information and remember it. They do it in their science notebook, but I started having them make videos of it. So at the end of every day, I'd carve out five minutes, go add the most important thing from our lesson today. Go put that in your wee video and save it. And at the end, they have this final product that walks them through all of the learning in their own words, with their own visuals and their own creative outlet. So WeVideo has been a really cool tool for us. And I love how you broke that down. Like sometimes, you know, you you teach things and you get to the end and you're like, okay, create a resource for yourself. And it's like, they don't, they don't remember what happened at the beginning. So I love that carve out five minutes and just kind of summarize your learning right now. And it builds slowly over time into that awesome resource. So that's fantastic. I love that strategy. Might have to start doing that one too. And that's something, you know, for those of us who do have kids at home, like you could have them do that. Like go make your quick little video snippet and, you know, then they can add those pieces together later. Awesome. Do you have any other technology tools that you're enjoying using right now or tips for other our listeners? Um, I love Flipgrid. I got rid of reading logs this year. I was tired. Oh, this is not very correct of me to say, but I was tired of teaching kids to lie to me if they were not able to read at night. And this is exactly how I stated it to my kids. I didn't want them to have to feel stress or anxiety because they already have a lot of that coming in with everything on every kid's plate right now. Getting your reading log signed was not something that I felt comfortable doing. And I know not everybody has that flexibility, but I'm very thankful that I do. So I got rid of reading logs and instead I implemented Flipgrid for kids who wanted to and other kids sign up for a conference time. So kids who have access to technology at home and want to can read their book directly to Flipgrid. They're practicing their fluency. I'm getting to hear their actual reading and how much it has changed over the year. And they love reflecting on that too. It's quick and easy for me to jump on and see them reading. And I don't listen to every single one of them, obviously, but I listen to a lot of them and I click through them to make sure that they're reading and they're doing really great with that. So Flipgrid has been a wonderful tool. The parents love it because it's, it's all on the kid. They choose to do it or choose not to do it that night. And then if something happens, their technology isn't working. They always have the option to sign up and conference with me in person the next day. So that works out too. I love Flipgrid. (laughs) 
I love that idea because we, Gary Johnston used to be a speaker at CCIRA and talked about the reading logs and that it's not a good practice because it is about parents lying or kids lying instead of just having kids fall in love with reading. And so this is a great way that they can read and interact with technology because they already want to be on technology. And so having them read to their computer instead of doing something else is a fabulous idea. And then also holding them accountable a little bit, but you can kind of space it out where you're having those in-person conferences and also talking to them. So I love that idea. You had talked about earlier, you guys were doing something with literature circles. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, I can. So we, in fifth grade, it's important to me that kids get to be in complex text. And I provide a lot of support for kids who have trouble accessing that. And I provide a lot of upper level challenges for kids who can access it and need to go deeper. So novels are the best way, in my opinion, right now for where I'm at with my kids to reach that level of complexity. So this year I really wanted, again, I told you my goal is feedback with my students and I want them to be receiving feedback from each other and from other adults and not just me all the time. So we created together, I have this brilliant coworker, Emily Williams, I'll give her a shout out. She attended a training and was talking about how when you create a progression, which is different than a rubric, looks similar to a rubric, but a progression is non-evaluative. It shows kids how they can change over time and where they can score on different days without evaluating them so that we're focusing on the learning and the content and not so much on the grade. So we created a progression and she told me that if you create the progression with the kids, then it creates an equitable playing field because it takes that they don't understand it. They don't know the, what the words mean. They don't know how to reach that. It takes all of those gaps out of it because the kids decide it. So we did a lot of modeling heavily on, we're using resources from, I can't remember right now. I'll look in a minute, but I think it's read, write, think. We're just using their literature circle sheets and I can send that resource. We can put that up on the website too, below the blogs if or below the podcast if we need to, but they have really good sheets for discussion director, for vocabulary enricher, and for a literary luminary. So the kids have, they get to decide how many chapters they're reading they get to decide how long it's going to take their group and who does what role. Then they have work time to go and wrestle with that complex text all the while I'm teaching mini lessons throughout. They're filling out their sheets and then they meet together. When they meet together, they then use that progression to grade their self or to grade and see where they're at for are they on task? Are they sharing what they need to? Are they going deeper? So one of the funniest conversations I heard the first couple of times we were doing it, I walked up to a group and the student said, well, he's not answering the question. So I said, okay, tell me the question. And she, and she did. 
And then he answered it and she goes, but that's not the answer. There's more to it. And I said, oh, what you're doing is you're asking him to go deeper. You want him to share more information and think at a different level. And she's like, yeah, he's just giving a one word answer. So it's been a lot of fun to provide coaching to them around how to get to that deeper level in their text that deeper level thinking, how to create questions that make their group think and think beyond the words. I think for a lot of years, we have been so focused on citing the text and only finding the answer within the text and tell me what paragraph that was in, that they're having trouble with that deeper level thinking. So literature circles, and I'm pretty sure it was read, write, think, but their style for the way that they do that has been pretty phenomenal. And we've made some tweaks throughout, but really creating a progression for kids to be able to have that conversation with each other, give each other feedback and be able to do their own thinking has helped them a lot. That is so cool. And I, a theme throughout this that I keep hearing is that you're giving kids voice and choice and it's you're teaching them, but giving them the tools and then that gradual release of responsibility to lift them to do their own learning. And just that example where the kid came up to you, you're naming what she was trying to tell him. She didn't have those words yet. You're naming that, oh, you want him to go deeper. And so giving kids that vocabulary and then they become the teachers is really, really cool, too. I'm going to move to professional development now because I'm curious about your thoughts on professional development. And I know it's kind of pre-COVID and post or in, in the midst of COVID. It looks different because of time. But how are you making time for professional development and why would that be important to you? And maybe where are you searching out professional development? Great question. Um, Molly, you and I have talked about this many times. Just as much as I want to give my kids choice, I prefer choice in my PD. There's nothing that I dislike more than sitting through something that I already know, because we know that time is a currency and it's so valuable. So I guess to answer that question, at the beginning of the year, I knew that I didn't want to let COVID or any circumstance that we have standing against us be an excuse to not do what we do every day. How can I continue to push and grow and change to be the best that I need to be for these kids? So I sought out one of our district learning coaches and asked her if she would do a I don't even know what we call it, but it's like a coping cycle. I guess that would be the word where she comes in and she helps me. And so I told her these were my goals of feedback and she really provides me timely articles. She provides me videos. She provides me resources. And she's been a big support in helping me get my literature circles to where I want them to be. And that's Emily Williams. I'm shouting her out again because she's amazing. So I think that was how I sought out that professional development. The other one is I need something that's quick and timely. So I like John Spencer's podcast. I don't know if you guys have heard anything about John Spencer, 
But I know I started looking for that back in the spring when we went all remote and I needed to figure out how to design my platforms the way that I design a classroom, right? Setting up your online class is very similar to your in-class classroom. You have to think about the same things, but it's a different way. So I sought out John Spencer's podcast and learned about the user experience website user experience. And I did a lot of thinking about that so that I could plan out how I wanted to design my Canvas courses for my kids, how it was going to look even down to just the language. Because if you use different words for different things, that can become confusing between different classrooms. So I sought out that professional development. I don't know, I think to answer your question in a roundabout way, Professional development is still really important right now, but it's really important to pick what's right for you because you still have to, somebody said it the way of adding to, we always talk about adding to our plate and professional development shouldn't be adding to our plate. It's adding to our person. So make sure that we kind of try to reframe that. That was from my principal. He said, are we adding to the plate or the person? So I think you have to find the right PD that adds to your person not to your plate. Yes. And and like you said, Emily, like you and I talk about this a lot because I'm pretty passionate about like seeking out learning, but also seeking out what you need. Um, Because I think as teachers in general, we're, we're a pretty reflective group of individuals. We're constantly looking at our classrooms going, what do I need? What do I, you know, where do I need to grow? What do my kids need? And so if we find those opportunities to sort of feed those things that we know we need, it doesn't, you know, taking the time to do that, at least in my experience, you know, like you said, it doesn't put things on my plate because it feeds me. Like I feel so much better and inspired and I have answers to the things that are challenging me when I seek out that PD. And by the way, for those of you that are curious, I think Emily, the the John Spencer podcast is called the creative classroom. Am I right about that? You are. He is wonderful. And they're quick, timely. I listen to him on the way to work. Okay. Yeah. And so, and Emily's not that far from work. And so that tells you it's pretty short. Um, and you know, podcasts are handy for that. Like I listen to most, some of my podcasts I cannot listen to like on the way to work. I only have a 10 minute drive. So, you know, they're a little long for that, but a couple drives and I'll get through a podcast. Um, but now I lost my train of thought. There was some, oh, you were talking about the user experience earlier. And that was something that I really dug into last year. That was one of my like big themes. And somewhere I have like the most like crazy um, like sketch of my classroom. And then it's got notes on the side about what I'm going to call things and how I'm going to train kids, like even to like grouping. You know, so like I was going to come up with all these crazy group names and I did um, so that, you know, I could tell the kids like get to your battle stations or whatever you wanted to call the groups. And they knew, oh, that's when we're in like a, you know, facing a partner and, you know, having a dialogue back and forth or whatever you're calling your different things. So, you know, I like to pick dorky social studies things for groups, but like having some of those things that kind of make it exciting and fun. And then you're really thinking about like space and how you use it. 
And with the digital side of teaching, like what's the user experience? Like how many clicks does it take them to get to where they need to go? Um, can they see what they need to see in one place or is it on like a ton of different slides that, you know, slowly over time, seventh graders are going to burn out on or, you know, whatever it might look like. So really thinking about what is this user experience? Is there too much text on this page? Is there a way I can make it, you know, more visually friendly? Like, you know, as teachers, sometimes we almost have to be graphic designers. Like, how can I arrange this stuff? Um, you know, so I think that user experience is a huge piece of what we do. And, you know, any teachers who are curious about that, like I encourage you dig in because while there's some work that goes into kind of thinking through it, it makes such an impact on how much energy you put in on a daily basis to making certain things happen. Uh, it, you know, it just can really improve your experience and your learners experiences when you have some really nice um, designs in terms of how students are interacting with classroom and digital spaces with you, with each other. Um, it's a huge, hugely helpful thing to dig into. I agree. And if you can get your teammates on board, do it with your team too, because it was one of the biggest ways for us to create equity across our grade level. We, the beauty of teaching is that we each have our own individual style, but there were some great things that we could put in place, like creating assignment templates, which sounds a little bit boring, but we were still able to add what we needed to, but every assignment had the same language. It had the same amount of language and it had the same elements so that across the grade level, they were getting an equitable experience and our parents have appreciated it too. And that reminds me of, if you listen to last or two weeks ago's episode with Jesse Meeks, um, she talked a little bit about kind of her template and how she structures some of those things. Um, and so that one's a good one to listen back to because she has definitely considered her user experience and kind of making sure some of those things have some consistency so kids and parents can find and understand some of the instructions and the tasks that you're asking their kids to do. You know, and as I'm thinking about this and you're in your fifth year of teaching, correct? Yes, ma'am. I mean, I think about back, you know, to the dark ages when I was in my fifth year of teaching and just if we have any new teachers, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, how does she know all this? And I'm just super impressed where you are. And so do you have any advice? Because I know all of our first, second and third year teachers are probably thinking, how did you get here where you're able to do all these things? So what's some advice for those new teachers, those first year teachers and second year teachers? Okay, let me let me preface with CCIRA has not paid me to say this. I am saying this solely out of this is truly if I had not gotten involved with CCIRA, I would not be any part of the teacher that I am. My CCIRA story starts when I was a ridiculous senior in college and 
you know, when you get to the end of your course and you have all of the same friends and they go from class to class to class with you because you're all at that point in your career. I had all those ridiculous friends and we would go get Taco Bell right before this class. And we thought this one class was going to be a joke. And it actually ended up being the best class of our life. And it was Amy Nichol. And at the end of the year, she, it was actually the year that she was doing the conference. None of us knew what a big deal that was. And now I'm like, you were teaching all of us brat senior kids and running a conference. So she gave away a conference registration. She gave away two to our class and I was fortunate enough to get to go. So I went for free and I have gone every year since then. So it's been six years of me going to CCIRA and the people that you get to see at this conference change your life. The tidbits that you pick up that inspire you to do better for kids every day are what make me the teacher that I am. I don't know if I'm a good teacher. I don't know if I know a lot of stuff. I just know that I'm open to learning new things all the time and I want to do the best for those kids. And CCIRA provides that to me every year, all the time, even not in conference. When I go to leadership meetings, that's when I got inspired by Ellen Oliver Keene. So I encourage you, whatever year in teaching you're in, to get involved with CCIRA so that you can start to see these little pieces that make up a bigger picture of who you want to be as a teacher. And as an 11th year teacher, I totally second that. Like so much of my growth and success as a teacher, I can point back to CCIRA and be really thankful that as a first year teacher, for whatever reason, I went to that first meeting and got involved and got connected with this organization and, you know, grew from there because that first conference hooked me and I've only missed one conference in my 11 years of teaching. So, you know, 10 out of 11 years, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it is at the core of what I do as a social studies and science teacher. You know, it all goes back to things I've learned at CCIRA and not just literacy strategies, although those are massively important, but feedback strategies and management strategies and engagement strategies. Like there's so much you can get from that conference. So, you know, we all know it's my happy place. That's why I'm here doing a podcast. I would third that because I, I say this all the time too, and CCIRA doesn't pay me to say it, but I'm not the educator I would be today without CCIRA. And it, and like you said, it provides, it's giving me a lot of education on how to teach, but also it has developed me as a better leader, as a better adult, and just so many experiences I probably wouldn't have had if I just took the normal route of teaching. I would probably still be in the classroom, and it's just opened a lot of doors for me, which is pretty cool, and so many things that I've learned from the conference. So I think my next question was going to be about marketing the conference, but that's a pretty great marketing plug for the conference. So, um, how can people help? Because we have a lot of marketing that's starting up. Registration is going to open December 1st. How can people kind of help market? And what are you most excited for this year for the 2021 conference? 
I am excited for everything this year for the 2021 conference. I know there's been a lot of decisions that have been made for the conference and a lot of things that have changed, but I love the flexibility and I love that there's, it's really going to open up to a community of people. I know in years past budgets have been tighter and substitutes have been less. So it has left out a lot of people that I know love to attend the conference. And so I think this year, the sky is the limit. I'm excited that it's on a weekend. So there's not sub time. I'm excited that if you can't make it because you have a family commitment, you can go back and rewatch it. So we're still providing all of that high level, high quality PD to people when they need it. I think we're reaching that peak of our availability for people. I like that. And I'm excited about that part. I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> what do I need people to do? <laughs> I need people to share, share, share. The other beautiful thing this year is that we can have anybody from across the U.S. and even international join our conference and get to see the speakers that we get to see. We're super reasonably priced. I cannot believe we're so reasonably priced for all of the people that we get to see and just share there will be lots of great teasers coming out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So go follow, see what the buzz is all about and share it with everyone, you know. I love how you stated like that it's opening up to a community because it's a larger community. And like you said, it's making it possible for other people to attend, even people in Colorado who maybe wouldn't normally be able to come because of the distance or they just can't get time off that we can grow this community too. So I'm going to turn it over to Molly because she has a favorite question to ask everybody about past CCRA experiences. And really quickly before I ask my standard question, um, I do want to say, you know, having gone to a virtual conference this last Saturday, like I know sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to give up my Saturday. Like I spent all week teaching at work. I just need Saturday to relax. Conferences, like I felt so enthused and invigorated and also just supported. Like it was so great to share some time with some other teachers. They actually gave us like some breakout rooms at the end of the conference where like you got to pick a room. So, you know, there were some different topics or like, you know, people who taught specific things. And we sat in a room and we just shared the things we learned and we got to talk to other teachers and that networking piece, man, it was so nice to get to talk to some teachers, not in my building, you know, sharing how they're dealing with things and, and things they learned that day. And that I realized that I had missed a really amazing session that I was like, Oh, I would have loved that. And if I'd realized who the speaker was, because it was a speaker I'm familiar with, but I just didn't even realize she had a session. Oh man, I would have been in her room, but that's okay. Cause they recorded it. And so I can go back and watch her. And so like, just realizing like, even though we're exhausted this year, Oh, there's so much good that can come out of spending your Saturday, just doing teachery things in spaces with other teachers and not the ones you get to see every day because that networking with, and I totally saw a couple people that I know I see at CCIRA every year. One of them, I'm in love with her hair. Um, someday I'm going to have like the guts to be like, all right, where do you get your hair done? Cause you don't live that far from me. Um, but anyways, 
<laughs> so go like go to a conference just because like you need that energy. We need those people. We need those opportunities. But now thinking of past conferences, Emily, thinking back through your six years of CCIRA, can you think of a particular speaker or a, you know, a topic or an idea, something that really changed your practice and will kind of always stick with you and kind of be a foundation for who you are as a teacher? I absolutely can. So I could probably count the number of times that I cry on one hand because I am not, I often joke with all my coworkers that I have one feeling and it's not ever sadness. So I cried on a Saturday Institute. Jess, I think it was your year. Was it Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher? Yeah. The Saturday Institute, the writing that they pulled out of me from nowhere was incredible. The feelings that they made me feel. I was like, if you can do this with a room full of strangers in three hours, what do you do in your classroom in a year with those kids? And so, and Kelly Gallagher has been a favorite of mine for a long time. The first professional book I ever read was Read Aside because it just, I don't know, it just spoke to me so strongly because I was a victim of Read Aside. Like I had AR points as a kid and I used to be a fantastic reader and then I quit and that's so sad. So I read Penny or I read Kelly's book and then when I got the chance to see them, and the writing that they talked about and the reading structure and how they set up their classrooms and they work across, they've been doing online work since I don't even know how long collaborating class to class across the nation, which is amazing to me. So I love their book, 180 days. I have taken that and I have used it over and over and over with many of my different coworkers at school to help them structure reading time that works for them. We often get these big blocks of reading time and nobody knows what to do with them. Go check out Penny and Kelly and see what they have for you. Cause their book 180 days is an amazing, amazing book with lots of great resources. If you're needing help with that. I love that you brought up crying I never cry, except for I lied. Sometimes on Thursdays when I watch This Is Us, but that's the only other time. Like the only other time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you both know I'm kind of a rough, gruff, you know, angry middle school teacher. And so, you know, I, I, I default to snarky and obnoxious more than I do emotional and sensitive. But I'm pretty sure CCIRA like single handedly taught me how to cry. I don't think I knew how to do it before CCIRA because I can think back to so many like keynote speakers that just like you just tear up and you're like, dang it, there's people all around. I can't do this. I'm the tough guy. No, (laughs) but like, you know, I think back to Jonathan Mooney, definitely, you know, Penny and Kelly, so many speakers that just like, you know, that they get it. They, they get the emotional work that we do and, you know, they can even crack a angry, hard nut like myself. I have never heard a better plug for a conference than it'll make you cry. So come attend. 
Thank you, Emily. You have had some great ideas and I hope that people can use the time-saving management idea because I know that we all can do that. And I hope that you all keep adding to your person and not add to your plate. So thanks again, Emily, for joining us. And we'll see you for another installation of CCIRA Literacy Conversations. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.